Welcome, everyone. This is our second episode here. We're, we're diving in and we're exploring the monetization of knowledge. So we're still working on the podcast name. You, you may have even heard at the beginning of this, the actual official podcast name, but we're still working on it. We, you know, it's a knowledge project product. So we're picking apart exactly what that means and what it all comes into. So monetizing the intangible assets, a name we played with. Today, we have a fantastic guest, good friend of mine, Tyler Jeffcoat. He and I have been uh, friends for a while. And I watched him. I actually sat down the hall from him while I was working on my knowledge product, which was an e-commerce automation agency. And he was literally a one-man show building his knowledge-based product, an e-commerce accountant company, seller accountant. So welcome, Tyler. Thanks, Will. Appreciate you having me. So Tyler, first things first, why should these people even listen? Like, who who are you? Well, yeah, this is the core question. Why should we listen? I, you know, well, I don't know. I mean, for me, Tyler Jeffco, live in the great state of Georgia. I'm an accountant by trade. Don't hold it against me. Started a healthcare company, sold it, started this little uh, bookkeeping CFO shop in the same incubator that you started your company where we were kind of, you know, rubbing shoulders, crying together occasionally, you know, <laughs> there was a, you know, Hey, what do you need, man? I just need a hug, right? Oh, you know, that kind of thing happens. Right. And so yep, yep. I think, I think my perspective is I feel like I, by the way, I turned 40 this, this month, like literally here in like a two weeks and oh boy. I'm like, wow, this is weird. I'm like an old man business guy now. And it's <laughs> mainly it's not because I went to school to learn business. It's hundred percent because I've just had enough time to like make almost every conceivable mistake now. <laughs> So I don't know, man, that, that's me. A seller accountant is my company and, and we love serving uh, brands and, and sellers that are trying to grow and become more profitable. Tyler, I love it. I, you mentioned being an old man in business. I remember, so I'm like 26 or something like that, working with all these really smart dudes. And I remember being like, man, those guys that are like 33, 34, they're so old and I'm 37 now. And I was like, oh crap, I am one of those old guys. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like you and I would like maybe watch a sporting event now. And this is troubling. The guys that are retiring from your professional sports leagues are now younger than than I am, right? I mean, it's, so it's kind of like the uh where you know, it's but you know what? It's great. You know, life is life is happening. It's awesome and yeah, just good, good to be here with you today, buddy. Uh 100%. We we the the episode is not about aging, but I'm sure we could talk about all of that insanity for a while. So so let's dive in and look at uh, where this came from. My, my question is this, when was the first time that you, actually, you know what, I'm going to go back. I want to know your origin story. So like go back, like way, way back, you know, when did you have a job when you were working for somebody else and you realized, holy crap, I might be able to do something on my own. So let, let's go back there. Like, you know, when you were working for somebody else and had that entrepreneurial seizure as uh, Michael Gerber calls it. So for me, I was a middle manager in a, in a big bank and was in grad school. And as a lot of you guys have probably had, I had a particularly terrible meeting where my boss, all the stuff flows down here hill when you're in a fortune 100 company. And of course it flowed into my office, into my lap. It was messy. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way she handled it. And then a day later I had a meeting with somebody who like, like I would almost will describe myself as a reluctant entrepreneur who upon starting a business realized, oh, I've kind of always been wired this way. Like I was always the kid growing up that kept the, this is before we had cell phones, but like had kept the, the phone numbers of every single one of my friends so that I could schedule the, the, the football game or the Frisbee game every weekend. I was always the one that was like, oh, I wonder if we could like make money selling bad lemonade or whatever it is that we were getting into as kids. I, I played music growing up. So I was 
quick to, you know, try to teach guitar lessons and, and make money mowing lawns, whatever it is. Like I was always happy to try to organize and make money, but I think I always viewed myself, Will, as a as an employee. Hey, you go to school, you get good grades, you get a good job. They pay you for working hard and you have a great life. And I think I, I got a few years, eh, roughly five into that career and was successful, quote unquote, but kind of hated my life, to be honest with you. It just wasn't a good fit. And so it was that week in 2012 when my boss, love you, Jamise, the stuff flew downhill, went on another lunch the next day with a guy who said, hey, I think you've got what it takes to start a business that addresses Alzheimer's care. And I'm like, do you realize I'm like 29 have never had any kind of like dementia myself. What, you know, and so when the guy wanted to throw some money at me to start a business, we did it. And I did it kind of completely naive to what it is to run a business. I just was like, yeah, babe, let's do this. And my wife's like, okay, I think the Lord's in it. Let's do it. And so we just did it and woke up and realized, oh boy, I just quit a lucrative job with benefits when my wife was at home with our infant to start a business that didn't exist in an industry I'd never never worked in with a guy that we had never met, right? It was like one of those stories. And so I would consider myself to be a reluctant entrepreneur who has now become, I couldn't go back. It'd be hard. I couldn't go back now. So I love that your entrepreneurial seizure was almost forced upon you where, you know, you had that, oh crap, do I really want this crap to flow downhill? Like, is it worth climbing through the crap to get to a point where maybe less of it flows into my office? No, I think I'm checking out. I, I don't like this crap flowing journey. I'm I'm going to go try something else. That's um, But that's basically what it was. And, and honestly, I, I can sometimes feel intimidated by even, even guys like you, Will, who really like, oh man, I had a vision and I'm going to go get it. Like you're kind of a great idea guy. I'm like, I've been in the business of doing really unsexy things. Like I really have. And I've been really fortunate to get good at executing on those in a the business that I sold in 2017 kind of got big. So it was like, I, I did it like on some level of success and, you know, candidly, it's just been like, Oh, solve problems, do the right thing, care about people, obsess over getting better and good things tend to happen. But you know what? Sometimes good things tend to not happen. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like that's just the entrepreneurial journey of like, Oh, I did most of the right things and the market got bad, or I did most of the right things, but I hired the wrong people, or I did most of the right things, but I forgot that I needed processes. And so, you know, for me, it's just kind of been a journey of discovering how to lead. I've always been a leader, but learning how to lead in an entrepreneurial way has definitely been a journey for me. So tell me, and so you decided to jump off that bandwagon, you know, maybe I do have the guts to go out and build this. It, it, it went okay. You know, what made you decide like, oh, you know what? Maybe I can monetize this uh, knowledge or nugget. Like, what did you take from that corporate job that you were like, oh, you know what? I actually do think I, what made you think like, I have that knowledge. I have something that I can actually sell there or, or you know, do enough to create something. Well, this is another thing that I feel like kind of happened like backwards, right? Like I remember I had two grandparents that had awful dementia experiences in nursing homes, like just really poor care, didn't get great care. It was really brutal. And, mm. and so I knew I was pissed off about that. Like that was the knowledge I had is that this is not the way I want people to be treated. And then when it was kind of merged with the opportunity, to be honest with you, of somebody saying, Hey, you mentioned being kind of passionate about this. Would you just do a little dig in and see what you think about this industry? And if you see an opportunity, let's build a business around it. Right. And so because I'm a little bit OCD, I was like, yep, obsessed already. Let's do it. And next thing you know, it was like, oh, let's not buy a franchise. We can do it better ourselves. Let's build our own focus group and go straight to the source and build a brand around doing it our way. And in some ways, it's kind of like, oh, it was a little bit, frankly, like free-flowing arrogance to be like, yeah, 
we could do it. But at the same time, it actually allowed us to innovate in some ways that really helped us once we took the, the lumps and the skin knees. And so I think monetizing it was a natural outflow of listening to a real problem set from a customer and realizing that there was noise in the market that, that needed to be fixed. In this particular market, there were really bad hiring practices. Uh, there were really bad processes around making sure that people got what they needed when they were receiving care. And there was a, de a desperate lack of training for the very technical side of it, which was, hey, if somebody has Alzheimer's disease, you have to actually approach them a lot differently than if they're not you know, in the middle of dementia, not in the throes of it. And so Mm -hmm. For us, it was really predicated on let's solve as few problems as possible, but let's do it with a lot of violence and, and excellence and vigor. And I think that did serve us well in the market. So, okay. I, I love that. You dove into that. Tell me about another time, you know, we're going to kind of look at, there's kind of pivot points in our careers where we look at yeah. it and say, oh, I have something that might go somewhere else. You've obviously pivoted now. We talked about, you know, being at the same incubator. I mean, what was the moment when you we were like, oh crap, maybe I have other knowledge I want to monetize. What what did that look like? Tell me about that. So I, I, this one I remember more clearly actually because it was middle of 2017. My business partner and I had decided it was time to exit, it was time to time to transition away from that company, the healthcare company that I've been describing. And so I moved in a, in a day, in a snap, from being the CEO of a company with 100 employees to being kind of the like contract transition dude that was helping get everything offloaded to the new leadership team. And that was the first time I realized how miserable it was to not be in charge once you've been, once you've been in charge for five years. Right. And so, but I spent that last 90 days of my transition basically because I'm accountant boy being the bookkeeping controller CFO side of our business. And Will, I'm going to be honest with you, like three weeks and I'm like, huh, this would have really been helpful to keep an eye on <laughs> while we were trying to scale this business really quickly. And the aha for me, I was just, I remember sitting at my desk laughing at myself. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm an accountant who worked at a bank for five years, who was a finance focused MBA, who started a business and almost crashed it every other week for three years because he didn't know how to manage money. Right. And so there was this like visceral understanding that being an entrepreneur is a different essence of financial acumen needed than being a guy with a degree. And so as I was exiting that company, I was really getting excited about, my gosh, how much more money will we have made in 2014 if I didn't known to look at this on the balance sheet? Or how much more successful would this exit process have been if I had just tweaked this two years earlier? And so I think for me, that knowledge that I'll be honest with you, and this is what we try to, we have interns from one of the top uh, accounting programs work with us now. And I keep trying to tell them like kids, because I'm 40 and I'm an old man now, kids, listen, that ethereal concept that they teach you in that accounting program, here's what it really means. Here's what it, what it really equals is the fetal position in 2.30 in the morning, praying that you can make payroll tomorrow. This isn't ethereal. It's not a concept. It's not a principle. It's like real life with real money and real bankruptcy if we don't figure it out. And so I think for me, turning what's kind of a very, it's almost like you study like uh, philosophy, you study accounting, like turning that into a practical boots on it really got me excited. And so seller accountant was kind of born out of, all right, let's etch a sketch this like highfalutin ivory tower accounting CPA world where it's all about how much of the tax code have you read and, and this, that, and the other. And let's get, let's become a little bit more proactive, a little bit more focused on helping entrepreneurs make money. And so, you know, really that's where seller accountant came from. So I love that. So you had that entrepreneurial moment of like, and the interesting thing is there are two different moments here. And I want to draw a parallel between the two because I think it's valuable for the e-commerce sellers 
and just anyone who's looking to build a knowledge product, the two moments you had were uh, based upon a need that you personally felt. And I think that like starting with that need in mind or focusing around that need and then finding the tribe of people who had that same need. I mean, you were able to sell to those individuals in a very intimate way because you personally experienced that with your grandparents. And then you personally experienced that with your business that you exited, man, I could have gotten like, like the right CFO would have been worth a million dollars to me. Right. And you can, you can say that and you're not lying. Like it's legitimate. Like, look, if I had made this decision and I think someone with the right amount of uh, mental fortitude and understanding would have been able to help me with that. And so you decided, you know what, I'm going to take that thing, that knowledge, my pain, and I'm going to figure out how to turn that into processes that actually become something to serve the market. Does that line up? Like incredibly well said. Yep. That's exactly what happened. So, okay. As you dug into this, what were the biggest roadblocks you ran into when, when you were trying to monetize that knowledge, right? So we have two different knowledge-based products that turned into services and you got into that. And actually, before we go there, I want to talk about your third. So we talked about this pre-podcast. We were just, just chatting. Mm-hmm. You've done a third knowledge-based thing. And a lot of guys are going to have questions about this. Tell us about that third knowledge-based product. And then we're going to pick apart all three. Yeah. So uh, we reached a point at Seller Accountant where we were doing bookkeeping. We were doing fractional CFO. And one of our bottlenecks was that, oh, you know, it's funny, the product guys always envy the service guys and the service guys always envy the product guys, right? Yep. The product guys like, oh man, Tyler, you don't own any inventory. That's, you're so lucky. And then the service guys, yeah, but you don't have 30 employees. So you're so lucky. And so there's a little bit of this and that. So I got to a point at Seller Accountant where I didn't have any more of my time that could be sold. I couldn't sell any more Tyler time. And I was struggling to scale quickly enough on my team to be effective. And so we built this course kind of, and it kind of addressed a second problem also, by the way, which is that you guys know this, anyone who's living in the Amazon world, it's a shockingly small universe. Smaller sellers don't need to outsource the same things that larger sellers need to outsource. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm speaking at a conference, or Will and I maybe are on another podcast or, you know, my show or another show out there. And we're, and we're like talking about things that matter. I can't have an intelligent conversation without talking to everybody in the world that has anything to do with Amazon, which is great. I just can't help most of them because frankly, I would be a bad CFO to encourage someone that's got 10K a month in revenue to spend a thousand dollars a month on any kind of service. Right. And so we created this do it yourself course because we wanted to find a way to bottle up that knowledge in a way that's more scalable. And so we do, we have two courses. We have a bookkeeping course that we've now fully relaunched and it's actually, um, I can give you a code, but it's actually free now. I'm happy to give that one away. I want you to learn. I want you to learn exactly how seller accountant does it because A, it's going to make you more money and it's going to help you get to the point where you could hire us, that kind of thing. But then our CFO course, which is a little bit more of the secret sauce on how to drive performance, you know, that's in a course that we're still selling. So, okay. So you had this idea where it was like, crap, I don't have enough of my own time. These Mm -hmm. sellers can't afford me. How can I help? So again, there's the need, right? Like, crap, I, my need here is I want to help you $10,000 a month seller, but I also want to help you not go out of business. So I'm not going to charge you a thousand dollars a month to get access to my services, to my knowledge, to my bookkeeping. I'm going to help you help yourself through a course. Is that that okay? So, so you dove in and you decided to create this course and you know, what's that been like now? Would you go back and do it again? Was it like, wow, that was not worth it. What was that like? Well, for like, for a visionary leader that struggles with follow through sometimes as, as some of us do will, 
I don't. It was me. I, no, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I looked right and left to see who else he was talking about. But you know, it's it's a it is brutal to bite off. If anyone's ever like published a book or like recorded a, an album of music or done something that is a multi-step, multi-week, maybe multi-month project. It's something that takes more love and more energy and more effort than you think it is. And at some point, the entrepreneur in you gets a little bored and it's like, well, can we build something else? But I'm really thankful. So that's the honest, the honesty about the struggle is that it required a ton of discipline to say, okay, I do not feel like recording three videos today about journal entries, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to do, I, I, I used to, I don't know if you ever have to do this, Will, but I always have to put like, Tyler, do your flipping job blocks like on my calendar where it's like all the stuff I don't really want to do, but this is why I'm employed with my company. I do them. And so I think that was the challenge is I had to create a structure that forced me to finish and I would definitely do it again. In fact, this is why we're really re-recording a lot of the content now is we realize that this is, it's an enduring product that generates value in the community. And I think that, yeah, it's pretty worthy. Because again, the product guy loves the service guy, the service guy loves the product guy. But guess what? For three months of the pandemic, which is when I recorded the first versions of these, all of a sudden, all of us were like, oh boy, what do we do now? I had a little bit of a lull. I don't know if some of you guys are having that lull here in 2023 as the market's been a little weird. Mm -hmm. And guess I had energy and a lull and I decided to point that energy at building something new and, uh, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. So as you kind of dug into, you know, what that was going to look like and, and you picked apart that piece of it. Now let's look at all three of those opportunities. You know, parents or grandparents who experienced Alzheimer's deep need of the pain around how that was handled, then the the pain of, wow, I wish I'd had a little more help in my financial world. Like I, I should have outsourced a little sooner and picked that apart. And then this last pain of like, I really want to help these sellers help themselves. And, and they are feeling the pain of not being able to afford me. So I'm, I'm going to create this. So, so we have those three pains that you forwarded into creating an actual product. You mentioned, and we're going to talk about challenges now, roadblocks, the things that that stopped each one of those in their tracks. You already mentioned, you know, discipline or lack thereof was one of the main things. I, you know, do your freaking job, Tyler. Blocks on the calendar. We've all had those where you have to like lean in and it's just like, okay, this is no longer fun, but it's important and it's urgent and it's needful and it's, and it's going to add to the business. So that was a roadblock. What are other roadblocks that you you saw in these three different knowledge slash service-based products uh, that you had to build? Really for all three of them, it kind of boiled down to marketing when I'm not a marketer, right? So that, that's kind of been the biggest area of growth is I, I've realized this and anyone out who's who's listening to this show for, with me and Will is an entrepreneur by his very nature is a professional marketer. And that really wasn't my mindset. I mean, I'd been a sales guy at the bank and... You know, I've sold stuff, but like actually adopting the mindset of like, no, 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 I've got to make sure that my offering matches a felt need in a particular market. And then I've got to go figure out how to find those guys and tell the story and meet the need and get them to pay me money. And I would say that journey was bumpy all three times. Like with the home care business, it was like, oh, okay. How many doctor's offices want to have a 29 year old kid who's not a physician or a nurse come in and sell them, you know, Alzheimer's, like nursing services, basically. Got a lot of no's, realized, oh, we need to make sure we frame it this way. Started getting yeses, right? That kind of story. And then for seller accountant, same way. 
guys, I'd been an eBay seller back in college, but I'm not an Amazon seller. So now I'm selling bookkeeping and CFO services to a population that I know has a need. I see myself in their need, but I've never had to talk to them before. And so learning on a, on kind of a, again, on kind of a visceral level, you know, what is it that these guys are feeling and how can I make sure that I'm addressing the need that they feel? And then again, the course is the same thing where it's like, oh, wow, now I've got to learn how to do digital marketing and an evergreen webinar and things that were like mind blowing for me because I, I'm not a huge social media guy. So it's like, okay, great time to get excited about Facebook or, you know, something like that. And so for me, I think that's been a, the largest area of growth for me is that I have tended to be the marketing bottleneck, probably still am in some ways for my companies. And getting better at hiring good people, that's where I need to outsource, right? In those areas. And then getting better at really focusing my energy around what addresses the customer needs, I think has been where they have been roadblocks that have also become the like most fun things to learn, I think, as the leader. So you mentioned marketing, which is just scaling and getting it out there in front of them, but and all of the systems that come with building a marketing funnel. But also you mentioned the difficulty of understanding the language. And I think that messaging and marketing, they blend together, but I, I want to talk about that initial piece of it and bring that nugget out here for people. How did you, you know, you went in and you were like, man, I really don't know how to talk to an Amazon seller. Like, tell us about, you know, or, or man, I really, let's, let's go with the doctor's office. I like that even better. You're in that doctor's office and you're, you know, 29 year old kid trying to sell them. Hey, I think I know how to make this nursing problem go away. What were some of the the oopses that you stepped on? And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Do you remember any of those? And there were there were probably so many. I mean, you know, part like one pile of oopses are just going to the wrong place. Like, so for instance, when you deal with a hospital or an insurance company, actually identifying the real gatekeeper is hard, oh, yeah. right? And so a lot of energy was burned having what I thought were like, I'd go home and like high five my wife, baby, I'd said the most incredible sales conversation ever only to realize that that person was just being nice to me, but they like had zero power to actually do anything I wanted them to do, right? And so I probably spent six months realizing, oh, well, this is the kind of networking group I need to be in just to get in the right room with the right people. And then, I, you know, to be honest with you, like something that, that, I, that I was a little bit stronger in was just developing relationships. So once I knew I was talking to the right people, like talking to them because I really care, it was genuine coming from a genuine place was not that big a deal. And then because I'm like stubborn and have a high tenacity level, like I'm going to follow up with them and, and bug them enough. And yeah, I probably skinned my knees. I'm, I'm saying the wrong things. I'm sure I called things the wrong things. I'm, I'm sure I missed the mark a, a ton. And then again, you run into scale issues because at one point you kind of figure it out and you're the guy, you're the person that built the company. And at some point you decide to hire people. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've got an outsourced marketing team and I've got a full-time inside salesperson. And that inside salesperson is not doing what I used to do. And now I've got a director of sales. And so in the healthcare company in particular, that was actually harder for me. They like transition from player to coach to like forced me to develop a new set of skills that to be honest with you, like as much as I didn't love working at the big bank for some of those years, they had world-class sales training. I had great sales training. I knew how to dial for dollars and I had high tenacity and was willing to do it. But when it came to being like, okay, now how do I turn this into regular English that somebody who's hungry, but isn't me can do. And you know, there was some mixed success there. So I, you've mentioned several different things, identifying the right target market, talking to the people, like building the relationships and, and seeing where that goes. Then you mentioned, you know, I had to like figure out how to go from a player to a coach and pick apart all of those different things. So what are the key ways, what did you find 
if I were to say, okay, so what's the silver bullet? What's the thing that helped you overcome these pieces? Was it, is it just tenacity? Like if you look at these different challenges and these different knowledge projects, what was it that you would say, you know, lean on these three things if you're, if you're talking to the listeners who are considering knowledge products? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important area of growth for me, Will, has probably just been an area that I still struggle with. It's just communication. Like at the end of the day, communicating expectations to my team, communicating vision and culture to my team, communicating how we serve our customers or like just, it's amazing. It seems so simple. Can I get on a phone call with you, Will, and truly listen, understand really what you want and have the ability to articulate what I want in a way that makes sense, right? And so that sounds like such a simple executive skill set, but it is not, man. And so it's a, a, you're, you're flattering and saying like, what have you solved? That's, that's the one I'm still chewing on here, you know, like almost 12 years into this entrepreneurial experiment. But I would say that more than anything else, my ability to clearly listen and communicate both sides of it, everything. Uh, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my 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 friends, my uh, my ability to lead a better team, my bottleneck, one hundred percent of my life, kind of seems to be whatever level I'm able to communicate. Beautiful. So, any recommendations? And and so, I want you to put these. You know, note this on your desk. At the end of the episode, you're going to give hacks, tips, tricks, uh, books, things like that. So, jot down one or two books, or or put those in the back of your mind. I'm here in just a minute. Last question that I want to ask you before we get into some of that. If you could make a phone call back to Tyler, who right before he has the meeting with the guy who's going to throw money at him for this Alzheimer's thing, like if you could make a phone call to him and he knows it's Tyler, hey, this is 40 year old Tyler from the future. Yes, you do become 40 one day and it's kind of crazy, but you call him up. What would you tell him? What is one thing you would say, look, dude, do this differently as you're building these knowledge-based products? Oh man, such a good question. I mean, I think the two things I would tell 29-year-old or 28-year-old Tyler would be one is anytime you have an instinct to not press into a relationship and instead want to hold back, have more courage relationally and in conflict, have more courage more quickly and clear. So it kind of goes back to communicating, but even maybe another facet of that communication is just courage and communications. I've never had a single instance in my career where I failed to say something and was happy about it later. Right. So there's a, you know, and so there's, there's that. And then the second thing is I would probably just say, Hey man, stop and smell the roses a little dude. Like it's, it's going to be okay. Your level of intensity needs to be a sustainable level of intensity, not an acute level of intensity that's going to disappear when you burn out. And I think if I could hear that at 29, that would probably help. So deep breaths in terms of the intensity level. Yes. You're going to be excited. Yes. This is going to be amazing. But remember, God's got you. Remember, like you're gonna be okay. That 100% agree with with that. I wish I could tell my past self that as well. And then on on the total flip side of it, I think what you're describing is have more vulnerability. Like be willing to trust. Drink more Brene Brown Kool Aid when it when it comes to to having those those pieces. So love that. Two fantastic nuggets there. Okay. So now what we're going to do, and, and right after this, you're going to get those tips, tricks, books, all of that. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. And what I want you to do is 60 seconds elevator pitch, Tyler. You're in the elevator with an Amazon seller or someone of that nature, and you're you're headed up the elevator. We're going to give you 60 seconds to tell us why you, why should they why should they be reaching out? Then you're going to give your, your, your hacks or your books, your tips at the end. And then at the very end, you're going to tell us how we can connect with you. So 
Ready, set, and starting that one minute timer now. All right. So if you are a $25,000 a month or more seller and you're tired of not knowing whether you made money last month or last year, and you're overwhelmed at the prospect of running out of cash, but your dream is still to exit this business one day for maximum multiple, this is going to change your life. Make sure that you have your accounting and financial planning in order so that you don't do what I did during those three crucial years at the first company and run out of cash constantly. And then, so, and the so seller accountant helps solve those exact feel felt pain points with excellent bookkeeping that just gets the headache off your plate, but maybe just as importantly, the right analysis and CFO guidance. So that's, that's the pitch for seller accountant. Obviously you can, you can learn more about what we're doing on our podcast as well, which is called return on podcast. How did I do? Dude, you literally hit zero right there. You, you must've known exactly how long that needed to be it, and that, that feels that feels like you had uh, honestly i was looking i was like man, he's got 20 seconds left what else is he gonna say like he's, he's nailed that okay so now give us those let's go back to those books that you mentioned around communication <clears throat> if you have any books around the vulnerability or that other nugget that you gave us in terms of the you know relax like recognize the journey and just take some deep breaths any books tips trips or hacks around those different pieces well, the two books that popped into my mind, one is related to self-management and it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. One of my favorites. There are very few books that are on my required every year annual listen to or reading list. And James Clear's book on developing better rhythms, being more able to manage myself with less energy, right? I want to save my RAM for more important problems than what I'm going to do in the morning when I wake up. And, and that leads me to one hack that I think has had a tremendous ROI for me which is just, uh, it sounds so dumb, but I just put my journal next to the table, next to the chair where I drink my coffee in the morning. And so now I have a journaling habit that I'm really, I'm on a heater, man. I mean, it's like 95 plus percent for the last two years, just journaling at least a little bit every morning. Mm -hmm. And I find as somebody who has a, I'm on a quest to become higher emotional intelligence. I love, I love Brene Brown stuff also, but I'm not, that's not naturally me. I don't naturally read the room as well as I want to. I find that like doing something like just writing down my thoughts and be like, oh, I guess I'm feeling angry. <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, like it's really helped me. And then the second book I'll mention is related to innovation. Eric Rees wrote the book, The Lean Startup. Everyone loves it. I'm going to tell you to go ahead and skip it and read his second book called The Leader's Guide. The Leader's Guide by Eric Rees. The guy's a monster. He's got incredible stuff, but he walks you through how to think with kind of an innovator's mindset. How do I lead a team? that has to do two things simultaneously. One, I've got to protect the golden goose, whatever product's making me money, I need that product to keep making me money. And then the second thing is that I also need to be slowly inventing the thing that might kill me one day, right? Like that kind of thing. And so those are the two books I'd recommend, Atomic Habits and The Leader's Guide. Beautiful. You mentioned those two, and I've got to throw out Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. You mentioned yeah. the, the whole like, take some deep breaths. Dan Martell says, uh, anything done 80% as well as you is a hundred percent freaking awesome. As long as somebody else is doing it right. That's like, that's his whole, whole mantra. And that book shifted me and, and has helped me take some of those deep breaths because I was willing to, you know, delegate, let some things come off my plate. Okay. Well, those were some beautiful hacks, Tyler, any last words that you want to share with these e-commerce uh, sellers and or knowledge product builders 
or potential builders. Only just this. If this has been a more challenging year for you, find somewhere productive to pour your energy that builds something. Like I think sometimes I, I can kind of get depressed in whatever the moment is. And I'm either going to, this is me. I'm either going to be really paralyzed by the moment or I'm going to be really motivated by the moment. And I just want to encourage and remind everybody that the greatest wealth transfer in human history, as far as we can tell, was the fall of 2008 when the market crashed. The second greatest wealth transfer in human history, as far as we can tell, was the fall following the market crash in 1929. In other words, when the market gets weird, people who evolve with the market get really, really rich. So just don't don't give up on whatever your zone of genius is. Beautiful. Tyler, thank you. Appreciate everybody listening to our episode here and I hope you enjoy. I'm sure you've probably heard the name because we probably edited the episode and tacked it on there, but over and out for this episode.